We're here with Dylan Long, and uh, he's a great minister. He came out of Bethel, and uh, he is with currently with Europe Awakening. Is that right? Yeah, Awakening Europe. Awakening Europe. <laughs> Close. Okay, uh, with Ben Fitzgerald. I think Correct. most people know Ben, um, but for Dylan, uh, what's like kind of your role with? So within Awakening Europe, firstly, it's awesome to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. My role within Awakening is I oversee all the outreach for our events. So during our events, one of the the unique things about Awakening Europe is when we hire out stadiums, we don't just fill them with Christians. But one of the things we do is we actually send out all the believers onto the streets of the city. Sometimes you'll see 15,000, 20,000 believers going out at once to share the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. So that's kind of my role within Awakening is equipping the saints, sending them out, finding leaders. Where do we send them? As well as when the new believers get saved, how do we get them plugged into churches, ministries? How do we get them discipled? So that's kind of my role. I'm technically the outreach coordinator for Awakening. Okay. Um, like before we go like more into that. So like you're, so you're, we talked earlier, so you're you're a u.s citizen but you're from uh south africa Correct. right um so primarily for the most part you were in america right growing up or was it most of my life i spent in south africa so um i was actually born in zimbabwe originally which is right above south africa moved to south africa when i was about six and then lived there till i was 18. so my whole life i've basically spent in africa until 18 and when i just turned 19 i moved to america america is that when you started uh, BSSM? Correct. So that's okay. when I attended the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry for two years. And after that, about four years ago now, I moved to um, Germany to join okay. Awakening Europe. Okay. So um, like growing up, did you see yourself in full-time ministry? Not really. I think... Like what were you passionate about? At that I was time? passionate about like the body. I wanted to be like a sports physiotherapist or something. I loved sports. Okay. So sport was my life in high school. Um, I loved cricket, rugby, water polo, all the sports the Americans don't play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I loved that. And then I wanted to be like a doctor or like a physiotherapist, but okay. none of my grades were good enough, honestly. So when I finished high school, my grades weren't good enough for anything. So I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And then I was like, I'll just take a gap here and go to America. Uh-huh. And then that's how I ended up at Bethel. Like when you, when like those were your like desires as far as like what you're passionate about, mm-hmm. um, what was kind of like the drive behind that? Did you want to help people or were you just like really into like health? I just, I think since a young age, I'd been fascinated by the body. So as long as I can remember, I just loved like how the body worked and I was always fascinated by it. And then I loved sports. So I was like perfect mix as like a sports physiotherapist. You get the best of both worlds. Okay. So you're, you're going through, uh, BSSM Mm -hmm. and, uh, you're, when you exited out of that, can you like explain that to me? Like what was the process through all of that before you went into Awakening Europe? You mean leaving BSM and going to Awakening? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty easy decision for me because Ben Fitzgerald had played a big part in my journey at um, the School of Supernatural Ministry. So by the time my second year was coming to an end, he was already living in Europe. And the third year of the Bethel program is technically like an internship. So to me... I just didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. And one of the core teachings at Bethel is if you don't know your um, calling or you don't have a vision for your life, serve somebody else's vision until God gives you your own. So get plugged in, start serving, which is great advice for anyone because so often people are, they have these callings, but it's like, how do I get to the calling? How do I get there? I don't have a vision, but I want to do something. So it's just super practical. Serve somebody else's vision until God gives you your own. So 
that was where I was at. I was like, I don't know what to do with my life, but I do know I have this relationship with Ben. I know God's moving in Europe. Yeah. How so, did you meet Ben again? I met Ben. So when I was coming into school of ministry, when I was 19, Ben was a pastor in the school for that one year, where, which was my first year. That's actually a very God story. Because at that point, I was kind of living in hidden sin, like not walking with the Lord. And I just moved to America to get like, have like a gap year, go to America. Yeah. And I was already in somebody else's group with a different pastor, which wasn't Ben. And a mutual friend of Ben and mine told him to move me into his group. And Ben looked me up on Facebook and God told him to mentor me at that point and move me into his group. And I had no idea about that conversation with the Lord for like a year or two later. But God specifically spoke to Ben. So that was the start of my journey of God supernaturally just connecting me with Ben. So after my two years were done, it was kind of an easy decision for me of like God's moving in Europe. I'm going to go and serve Ben. And it's been unique for me because I don't feel a specific call to Europe. I've always felt a call to kind of serve Ben's vision. So it's really been like choosing to serve Europe. Yeah. So like at this point, is it still, have you, are you still treating it as it's Ben's vision or like you've kind of taken uh, Awakening Europe as kind of like, this is now your vision? I think as a whole, I've definitely taken it as my own because I think like that's what ownership looks like. Yeah. And it's been four or five years. So, I mean, I've definitely taken it as my own and taken the vision as my own and taken ownership of it as if it was my own. Yeah. But at the same time, I also know I don't have the specific lifelong call to specifically Europe like Ben might have. Yeah. So that's where it's interesting for me is like I'm still adapting to that. Yeah, I think like a side note for me was I actually was first introduced in like to you. You probably didn't know me then because I was like really young. But it was I probably I think when you first started out with Awakening, like I think it had either just launched or had been going on for like maybe one or two years. And that was kind of when like I was still discovering myself. And so like one thing about you that I really like is the aspect of the events that Awakening Europe does mm -hmm. and kind of like the vision behind it, how it's um, not fully centered on like um, current believers. Yeah. Were right? you at an event? Or no, no, no. Like, you, you came to my youth group and you were talking about events. And okay. I think you shared a testimony. In Vancouver on, here. Yeah. Okay. I think you shared a testimony on like how you needed to fill up. You, needed, you found a venue, mm -hmm. right? And it was a stadium. And you didn't have the money and you had like a week to get it, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, Maybe go into that. That's, that that's our story every event, basically, <laughs> to be honest. So it's hard okay. to even pinpoint which one. But for us, it's always a huge faith journey of just trusting God because our heart is to make it accessible to anybody that comes. So we charge like 10 euros for these four days in a stadium, which is nothing. And we have to just trust that God's going to provide. And even our first event, we had no like... Because it gets into the millions, right? Yeah. As so as our far. first event, like... The budget was probably like 1.6 million euros and we had no partners, no influence in Europe. So we had to trust that God would provide and he did over and above what we needed by the end of the event. So for us, it's very much like hearing God's voice and then just trusting and the finances comes later, which is a great lesson on, like in itself is that when you hear God's voice, what do you trust his voice or your bank account? Because oftentimes we'll hear God and then we'll check our bank account to see whether we should do it. But I think you make the decision on his voice and your bank account comes later. God provides the money. Yeah, I think like when I was, when I think it was like, I think I was like 17 at the time. And I asked you like how, how, how you got into that position or um, like how you got into doing events and like the number, like the amount of people going through it and the scale of it really attracted me. 
Um, cause I'm, I'm all about like setting up and coordinating and making, you know, big visions happen. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm really passionate about. Okay. But I think at that time, uh, like I really definitely didn't understand, uh, like giving yourself away. Like it's not about you and, mm-hmm. uh, like following a line behind people's visions because it wasn't really your vision, how it started, right? You kind of just hopped on and. Uh, it became yours. Yeah, right? it, was, it was definitely Ben's vision. Yeah. Like, God's what was book. the story behind that? You mean like how the uh, ministry birthed to begin it. with? Yeah. Yeah. So in 2014, Ben Fitzgerald and Todd White were standing on a field in Nuremberg, Germany, and they were just doing like a tour with a tour guide because that's where Hitler would do like. A lot of historic stuff happened around Hitler in that town. Mm-hmm. And they were standing on the field where Hitler would commission his youth armies to go and take over Europe. And while they were standing on there, they both saw this, this prophetic picture in their mind of thousands of people going, coming to this field from all over Europe of different skin colors, different languages, getting set on fire, and then going back across the nation, seeing the nations on fire. And at that point, both of them turned to each other and said, dude, I just saw this vision. And the other one said, I just saw the same thing. And that's how they decided to hire the stadium that was on the same ground where they were. So it was actually, it had been 70 years since the, the war ended exactly. And it was the same field where Hitler would commission his youth army. So it was very prophetic in many ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, I think this is going to help a lot of people um, as far as with life here or like what they're presently doing. Because um, it's something that I want to hear too mm-hmm. for either the podcast or for business or for my church. Um, it's kind of like, it's really unique because we talked earlier about how you guys attract new believers in yeah. through media. Because I, I imagine that like if Jesus walked today in the flesh, that he would be using media. Yeah, right? absolutely. He would be using content. Um, there would be people backing it and they would be pushing things out there to, to reach people. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when you described how you guys reach new believers, I found it very interesting because I never heard that. Okay. It's kind of like a new concept. Like, could you go into that for people who don't understand what it is that you do? Yeah. So what we do within our events is quite specific. We actually run a whole different um, campaign um, aimed at non-believers. So what we found is that, and as everyone listening would understand, is people have this lens of Christianity, which is very awful a lot of the times. Yeah. How they grew up, what they experienced, that one turn or burn preach on the side of the road. Like that's the view of Christianity that they have in their mind. So what we had to do is we stripped that all back and we started a separate campaign with a new name, a new website. And what we would do with that one is market it to non-believers and there's no way for them to link it to the actual event or to Christianity itself. So you come up with a new name, a new website. We'll put speakers' faces on there, but we won't even put the speakers' names. Because basically we want to draw those non-believers to come to the event and experience God there. So we'll put like wrap buses with Todd White's face and it will just say, I was shot at nine times, come and see why I survived. And nothing about God or Christianity. Now we aren't ashamed of the gospel at all, but we do use those marketing tactics to get non-believers to come into the stadium. And then mm-hmm. once they come, that's where they can be encountered by God. And we've had multiple people that will say, I came to get drunk and sleep with a girl because somebody invited me, but I met Jesus. Yeah. So we tell our people, like, you can preach the gospel, you can share Jesus and then hand them a free ticket to the event, or you can just hand them a free ticket and say, hey, we're doing a stadium event, you should come. And oftentimes that's enough for them to come because there's no, like, religious thing that turns them off. And then they can come into the room and experience God. 
So we've just found it's quite effective. Yeah. And so as far as like reaching unbelievers, was the, is this the most effective way you guys found doing it? Or are there other outlets that it's also happening through? I mean, we found that's the most effective way. So what we do is like we often print like 80,000 free tickets mm-hmm. with, the, with a non-believer campaign. So it's a real free ticket they can exchange to get into the event. And that's what we equip. So by the Saturday night of our event, we've handed out 80,000 free tickets on the street. Those are circulating all over the city with these people. And because they're, they're real free tickets, we even have people that are like, oh my, like, can I have one more for my friend? Can mm-hmm. I bring a friend? Yeah. So they treat these free tickets in a way that actually worth something because we're hiring these arenas where like if Justin Bieber came, he would be in that arena. So these people are getting free tickets to like the nicest arenas in town. So we found it's by far the most effective way because... And again, the nicest arena is that like strategic or simply because of the size or just size and price wise it's often just going to be the same one that they would Mm -hmm. come to uh just like our event in melbourne the week before like taylor swift was in there so it's like it's just like sometimes the same venues or stadiums Mm -hmm. so we found by far that's the most effective because it gives people the option of hey i'm going to preach the gospel to you right now i'm going to share jesus or i'm just going to say hey here's a free ticket okay something i'm curious about is so you're hosting events. It's anywhere from, you know, probably half a mil to over a million, probably like 1.5 yeah. euros, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Yeah, depending on um, where we go. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is the funding aspect of it. Like where where is that coming from? Is that coming from uh, single people or is it like crowdfunded? Is it through the ministry? That's a great question. So we don't really do crowdfunding. Often it's... so. We do charge a small amount for, say, the event's a million euros. So we charge 10 or 15 euros per person. So right there, you already have 200,000 come in, which is not even close to covering the costs. Well, you still have sound. Are you including sound equipment and like all the gear? Yes. And like so that one, that one million includes everything, okay. I would say. So okay. like production, sound, stage, yeah. everything, lighting. So the other 800,000 or whatever else we have to raise after the tickets come in is just purely down to individuals that like want to sew into it. So we do have options on our website. If you want to sew more, you can. Some people will sew 50, Euro, 50 euros or 200 euros instead of the 20 or 10. Mm-hmm. And what we found is a lot of wealthy people will just write a $100,000 check or something like that. And that's the aspect that comes down to trust for us. We have to believe yeah. that it was God's will, so it'll be his bill. And we've just watched them come through every and, time. And so... Would it be safe to say that almost majority of the time, it's usually not thousands and th- maybe like a ton of people with small amounts, but there are huge benefactors who are pouring in. Yeah, I'd say it's both. It's both. So it's both. And so it's like it's 50-50 or. Yeah, so we have multiple people that are giving smaller amounts. Yeah. And, but then every event we do maybe have the two or $300,000 checks that come in, okay. which are huge helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, like, do you usually know who these people are or is it kind of. Often we know who they are okay. because like often they they'll run with us over time or okay. something like that. And so then, it's like a relationship almost. It is a relationship. And I think over time, like we learned from Reinhard Bonnke, he was never ashamed to sit down. So he would sit down with millionaires and go, I'm going to give you the privilege of writing me a check for a million dollars today. And he would sit down with people and talk like that. Why? Because he believed in the ministry and he knew where the money was going. Yeah, he almost. It's almost like it would be better that it would be in the hands of... Like yeah, the Lord and he believed him. that it was a privilege thing. He's like, I'm going to yeah. give you the privilege of writing me a $100 million check yeah. today. But he had seen 87 million people saved in Africa. So it's yeah. like there's fruit to his ministry. Yeah. So I think when you really believe in it too, you can call people and say, hey, this is what's happening in Europe. Would you want to sow in? 
Yeah. So over time, you can build those relationships. And, and like, do you guys do that or it's not, not so much? Or? We do do that sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess one question, like, so you're not a business owner, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So for a lot of people, where does the ministry and the business connect? I'm just curious of like your opinion, because you're closely related to finances. Like mm -hmm. your ministry is very tied into that. And it's not, it's not, uh, you know, a small amount, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a big faith aspect of it. And obviously the event doesn't happen if the money's not there, right? Correct. So what do you mean business and ministry? Sorry. So, I mean, I don't think there's a separation, but mm -hmm. like, how do they coexist? And like, what, like, what's your view on that? You mean like people in the business realm? Like working yeah. So, I mean, like you're working very closely with money to do these events. So like in your eyes, as far as the ministry, mm -hmm. like what's your view on businesses um, within, within the church? Like, like. Like what's their like the effectiveness of it? Like what's the role? What's the purpose? That so like you businessmen see? and women just that are yeah in, within the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's so important. Like we always, for me, it's really important that you you stick to whatever sphere of society you're called to. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is called to business, like I would encourage him hundred percent. Like don't become a pastor, stay in business. Yeah, like stay in business, stay where you're called, stay in your lane, and then just keep in mind that you're using your finances to advance the kingdom. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people forget, like we put so much emphasis on the man on stage, but that man on stage wouldn't be there unless that businessman sowed that finances. Yeah. So all of them are so important and come together when you look at it from that perspective, that there's not more or less important, but wherever you're called to. More so a partnership. Yeah, so it, it's a partnership aspect. And I even tell people at our events, like if you hand out a free ticket to somebody, when the altar call happens, you are part of the preaching of the gospel because they wouldn't be there if you didn't hand out that free ticket. Exactly, yeah. So it falls over to every part. So sometimes people feel bad if they're businessmen because they're like, oh, like I'm not on stage preaching. But that mindset has to be broken down to no matter what you call to, there's no callings that are more or less important to God. Yeah. And, and businessmen, like they're going to sit down with people every day and interact with people every day in, in their business setting that I'll never be able to yeah. from a stage. Like they'll never come to my church service, but every day you interacting with them in your workplace. So the importance there is like you get to preach people I'll never get to. So yeah. I love that perspective and the partnership in the stadium is we can't do it without people that are kingdom minded and kingdom focused businessmen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, okay. So when you were just entering like, or maybe even exiting out of BSSM, um, like, is this what you saw for your life as far as like how, cause you'd fly around a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So like how often are you flying out? I mean, last year before was COVID. Before right. last year, I was on the road 230 days. 230 days. Yeah. Like you're traveling all the time. Yeah. 60, like, 70 flights. When did that go. start? So, so the first question. And was that tied into like awakening or was that separate? To a certain degree, yes. Yeah. So when I left BSSM, I would have loved to be doing what I'm doing now. I didn't know if it was possible or not. Cause I think everybody leaves the environment with that sort of dream of doing mm -hmm. it. Before I went to BSSM, it wasn't even on my mind. Like I remember looking up at a plane in high school being like, I wish I could fly one place. So that's the, pers and I've yeah. kept that perspective all the time because it keeps me thankful when I'm boarding 80 or 90 flights a year. I'm like thankful that I get to do what I do. But I came out to Awakening Europe and for a year I traveled and interned with Ben. And again, God provided that year. I had no money. Someone wrote me a $10,000 check and was like, hey, I want to give this to you. Yeah. So that enabled me to travel that year with Ben and almost exactly after a year of traveling with him, doors started to open for my own ministry. So that's probably about three or four years ago now where that transition happened. And then I, I just sort of walked into the doors and it just kept happening. So it's almost like it was too good to be true. I just yeah. kept walking walking through those doors. So 
yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. And I mean, I would have dreamed of doing it, but I wasn't sure if I could, because it's one of those things that you can't do by yourself. Yeah. So I've just kind of been riding the wave of what God's done. So like, what would you say, right? If you had like 20 minutes with somebody or well, you're not going to talk for 20 minutes mm -hmm. about it, but like if you had some time set aside for somebody and they came to you and said like, this is my dream, like what should I do? Because um, you probably have that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Because for most people, they're looking at you and you know, you're traveling, you're doing ministry, you're, you're seeing the world, you're, yeah. you're, you're doing the work of the kingdom, you're in big events, you're seeing people saved, like you're, you're hanging out with people. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people, that's a dream, right? Yeah. And so even at the time when you were in college, it was a dream to you, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so like, how does someone stay encouraged? How does somebody like stay, um, like, do you think there's like a balance of like being, staying practical or should they just continue to dream for that, that big thing? Um, or you think it's just like a mindset change we need to make in our lives? I mean, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. I'm actually super passionate about that because I see, I see a lot of people that have big prophetic words or big dreams, but they're almost paralyzed by them. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of people that are waiting on the couch watching Netflix, but they're called to like change the world. And they're kind of waiting for God to bring that calling or for God to bring that to them. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, what I'd encourage people is don't let your calling become an idol in your life. I've seen that like a lot of times that people's callings become idols. Yeah. So what, what that means is that they're more seeking after their calling or their destiny than they are seeking after God. Yeah which that can be a dangerous place, which I found myself and I'm like, I'm going to the secret place for my calling and reading my Bible for my calling because it's the right thing to do to get to my calling. Yeah. And we have to keep in mind that our highest calling is to be alone with God and that our calling won't bring us contentment. I mm -hmm. think that's the one mistake we make that because if you aren't content right now listening to this podcast, yeah, it's an internal thing that needs to change, not an external thing. Yeah. We think contentment comes from our external reality, but contentment comes from an internal reality. It comes from knowing God, because mm -hmm. Paul said, I've learned when I've had a lot of needs or no needs to be content. And we need to do the same thing of whether you have your calling or not, you're content right now. And then we can still be hungry for our calling. Of course, I love the story of David, of he's called to fight Goliath. He's been anointed to become king, but he's still watching the sheep and the, he's still watching the sheep in the middle of nowhere. So it's like, can you go back to serving when you know you're called for greatness. Yeah. Because he knows he's called to be king, but he's watching sheep when he's not getting anything out of it. Yeah. And then what happens next? He He's carrying sandwiches for his brothers to fight Goliath. And I always say, if you're too big to carry sandwiches, you're too small to fight Goliath. Okay. If you're too yeah. big to carry sandwiches, you're too small to fight Goliath. Because many of us would have said, I'm not called to carry sandwiches. I'm called to fight Goliath. Yeah. So serving is what takes you to your destiny. Yeah. So I love that picture so much that if you're listening to this, yes, I believe you have a calling. Yes, I believe you have a destiny. But how do you get there? Just start serving. Start being an usher in your church. Start just serving. God uses servants. And David goes from carrying sandwiches to being a hero of a nation overnight. Yeah. So, so my encouragement to people would be is, yes, you have a calling, but how do you get there? Get practical. Serve right now. Fight the lions and bears that are in your life because the lions and bears are the things that that prepare you for your public victories. Yeah. So you'll be facing challenges on a day-to-day -day life that no one else sees. And you're like, God, where are you right now? Like David almost got killed by lions and bears. And suddenly he's, he doesn't realize, but before he knows he's killing Goliath and he's been prepared when no one was watching. Mm -hmm. So that would be my encouragement. Wow. Um, I mean, just like a really short thing. It's like, 
is the dream as glamorous and perfect as you thought it would be? I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> of course, I think yeah. I was naive to begin with. I think everybody has their struggles. Don't get me wrong. It's an amazing privilege to do what I'm doing. Like I started traveling probably about 180 days and I was like 22 or 23, which is super young. And there was yeah. no, I was looking around and I couldn't see a lot of people doing it around them, but I've learned so much. So I think we all think things are more glamorous from the outside. I have an amazing life. I always mess with people. I'm like, my life is better than my Instagram, like messing <laughs> with them because everybody's always complaining about that. But there's definitely struggles that you learn, like, and there's definitely a price to play being on the road a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just think that's one of the facets, like, everybody looks at their dream or whatever they feel called to, mm -hmm. but they only see the best parts. Yeah. And so you don't really see, like, the hard work. And that's why I'm saying, like, if you don't find contentment right now, I'm, I'm telling you for sure you will not find it in your dream. Yeah. Because I remember the first time I preached in the stadium, I went back to my hotel room. My phone was blowing up the Instagram tags, the Instagram likes. And then I was like, I still wasn't content. Yeah. And that's when I realized like it has to be on the inside. So like, were you figuring that out as you were going? Like, because you were thrusted into it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it kind of started very rapidly as yeah. soon as you hopped on. Yeah. And um, like, were you just kind of figuring it out? Where did you feel ready for it? I mean... I don't think I really felt ready for it. I was confident in myself, maybe because of age a little bit too. I was just like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to kill this. And I knew there was a certain degree of like, I knew that I was cold. But at the same time, just freaking out. I'm super thankful for people like Ben and people yeah. that were in my life that could call me out on stuff. And yeah. I had people around me. But it was definitely, I look, yeah. Because I think it would, it would be safe to say that for anybody, like no matter the financial status, traveling 180, 180 days yeah. when you're 22 is a lot yeah it's a lot it's a big amount and, and, I'm super and it's paid for yeah exactly so that's the thing like you're traveling the world and other people are paying for it which is pretty cool yeah like a lot like and there's obviously a greater purpose behind it yeah ministries and stuff like that but it's also like pressure like i would go to churches with 2,000 people and i'm 22 and they're like hey would you teach our leadership yeah and there's I'm a like, big expectation you're and like, I'm, I'm like what am i going to teach your leadership I'm 22 <laughs> yeah so in a sense it was like if god opens a door i was just confident and i'm like i'm going to walk into it but at the same time obviously it was super stretching but i just believe that god was doing it and yeah i've tried to enjoy it the whole way it's I think, been like a flexible season for you like as far as uh like every trip is a little different or more demanding or yeah, I think I've been figuring out like how I do life too, how I do ministry. So certain trips are harder than others and I'm learning how I am as a person and how I can best minister and how I can best serve. Yeah. Is it is it ever weird like uh, when you have like people like maybe the age of your parents come up to you and, you know, they're asking you for your opinion or your advice? Is that ever weird to you? Like at least maybe in the beginning, maybe not so now. I mean, I think I've gotten used to it. Maybe in the beginning it was a bit weird, but again, I always kind of believed in myself. And maybe in the beginning I was a bit naive, like 22, I like thinking I had all the answers when I probably didn't. Yeah. But um, now I think I've gotten better. And I'm totally okay with telling people I don't have the answer to stuff. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is hard, like telling a 50-year-old that they're like, theology is wrong in my opinion so obviously uh -huh. you can still be honoring, but sometimes it's an interesting. Like who are a few of like your role models as far as who maybe like you run with today or you know mm -hmm. i mean that's a great question i think obviously ben Fitzgerald would be a huge one um todd white's another one who i look up to a lot michael kulianis is someone that i really admire a lot um just for his love for the presence and who he is as a person benny hinn i like i look up to bill johnson's incredible i love bill bethel's impacted me a lot dan moeller's another one that i really 
I really look up to. So those are a few of the people that I've got to meet and spend time with too. And just that mixture of both of it mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I mean, those are all really amazing people. Yeah, they're incredible. I listen to them too. They're definitely inspiring to me as well, just how they see God. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with all that being said, like, is there like one thing that like someone told you um, like as you were going through the season of like travel ministry, like as you know, you're basically growing into, you're growing into your calling, right? Mm-hmm. You were put into it, growing into your calling. Like, were there a few things that, you know, maybe Ben or someone else spoke over you or like a pastor that really like grew you and changed you, like that impacted your life through this process of uh, traveling mm-hmm. and being in full-time ministry and having a huge demand and a huge expectation over you? Yeah, I think it's a few different things. I think one of the th- questions, so often people will ask Bill Johnson, the, the leader of Bethel, like, what would you say to yourself if he was 20, if you're 21 or 25? Everybody gets asked that. Yes. Yeah. And his response is always, I wouldn't have taken myself so seriously. Uh-huh. So that's something that I actually love in a way, because I feel like there's this pressure for especially young ministers or men of God to act so serious and try to like live up to these expectations yeah. and like please people and like this is who I am. And when I heard that, it, like put this pressure off of like, no, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be myself. I don't have to try to put on this like show of I'm super serious. And it's like, no, I'm just going to be myself and take the pressure off. And I think that's helped me a lot. Because there's moments when you, especially when you're young and you can feel this pressure start to rise up to like perform or to move. And I think that took it off. Like, I'm going to stop taking myself so seriously. I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to trust that God's going to show up. So that was really helpful to me. One of the things that was super helpful too was Reinhard Bonnke before he passed away. And I think they're going to read, I mean, release a book about this. But, but he said one thing that he prayed early on in his life, he prayed, Help me to mind in the beginning what matters in the end. Mm-hmm. Help me to mind in the beginning what matters in the end. And I think that was just powerful. Like what actually matters in the end? Like what? So I started asking people like, what do you wish you had minded better in the beginning that matters now? And I asked Michael Kulianis, he was one of the people. I said, what do you wish you had minded more in the beginning that matters to you now? And of course, his answer was spending time with Jesus. Because that's like Michael's yeah. answer to everything, which was so powerful. But just how much that really matters is is it's just incredible to me so that's another one because i always thought that as my calling and my influence grew everything else would have to change but it was weird for me that internally you never graduate from the secret place so you're preaching a stadium but you still go back and it's just you and god like alone on your bedroom floor yeah and i think that was something that was important for me to realize like it, you never graduate like it feels like it should change because everything else is changing yeah but it's like when no one knew who i was as a bssm student and now, not that I'm well known, but now when I preach somewhere, it's still the same internal thing of I still go back to the secret place. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been really helpful for me. Of just yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I I find that uh, like very encouraging. Like just the sense that like no matter how big the stage gets, whether it's twenty people or you know two million people on a crusade in another country, um, like at the end of the day, it's still you and God. That's right. And that's where basically your appreciation is going to come from, your gratitude, your joy. And it never gets more complicated, which is kind of nice. Like, yeah. it, it, it literally doesn't get more complicated than you can just escape to being alone with God. And it feels too simple. I think that's what like got me in the beginning. I was like, this is too simple because everything else is changing. Everything else is becoming more complicated. Yeah. So now it's like, really? I just go and spend time alone with God? And it's like all the pressure comes off and yeah. Yeah, I would think that'd be really important, especially when like there's a really big demand, mm-hmm. you know, and like 
I'm sure you could have every single hour of the day booked out or like, you know, depending where you are with spending time with people or at this event or this, mm-hmm. this ministry or this church or on this mission trip or speaking to this crowd, like you could book it all out. And so I'd imagine like for you, uh, I'm assuming you say no often to, to, to things. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the things earlier I like alluded to it of like the importance of learning how I minister. So I've learned to say no because I need to spend time with God. And then I actually minister better because of that. So if I'm continually busy with people, I find that I don't enjoy preaching as much. I'm not enjoying it. So people can like the ministry is not as good. So every time you say yes to something, you're automatically saying no to something else. Yeah. So if I'm always saying yes to people, I'm saying no to intimacy with God to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? So to me, it was, is that a priority to me? And then not, is it a priority in my mind? But if I look back at my week and at my schedule, would it be a priority if I look to my schedule? Yeah. Because if I said to you tomorrow, Jesus, Jesus is coming to town, you can meet with him. You wouldn't try to How fit. How much him. of the calendar yeah. are you going to give him? Exactly. And you wouldn't try to fit him into your calendar. Like what time works for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you, you wouldn't be like, well, Jesus, I can give you between this time and this time on Thursday. I can give you half an hour. You'd be like, let's meet every yeah. day. Like let's spend time. Text you in the middle of the night and says, would, hey, can you come over right now? It's 1 a.m. Yeah. You would build You'll your schedule everything. around him. Exactly. So that's sort of my idea of when it's a priority. Obviously, I understand we have work, we have kids, we have families. But it's would you build your schedule around him and actually spending time with him? And making it a priority in our lives. Yeah. I think that's honestly like, that's very important, especially when you're talking about dreams, when you're talking about passions, um, when you're, you know, stepping into like what, what you feel is God's call for you. Um, it's important not to lose sight of what matters. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we think saying yes to our calling means we spend less time with God, but it's almost always spending more time with him. And the issue is too, like you can have your calling and your promises and not have his presence, which that's a dangerous place of like, if you get too focused on your promises, you'll get your promises, but you can leave behind his presence. And it just means you'll have your promises, but you'll still feel empty. You'll just feel dead to it. Yeah. So if you look at Moses and and when they come out of Egypt, God says, there's the promised land. Like he had everything he'd been promised his whole life and he'd been waiting for right in front of him. But Moses's heart says, I'm not going unless you come with me. So I think that's important for us yeah. is that you can have your promises, but it won't leave you fulfilled unless you have his presence. So again, like it goes back to that thing of, are you happy right now? And if the answer is your calling won't make you happy and your dreams won't make you happy, it has to be in his presence. Yeah. And if you seek his presence, you'll always get his promises. Yeah. But if you seek his promises alone, you can often have them without his presence. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, I mean, we, we personally haven't had a lot of time to talk. Mm-hmm like as far as like just like maybe even off mic or anything like that but it's been a huge blessing like the time that i have spent with you and like honestly can't wait till we do this again or whether it's like on instagram live or just texting back and forth you this helps out a lot and i know that a lot of people this is going to speak to them um and i think it's just really important that like just the message of like your dreams and like uh, prioritization of god and like just like all, even that like humility aspect that like um like your your dream or your promises aren't going to change your life it's the relationship you have with God. that's right yeah that's what's going to change your life you know if you're not content with what you have right now get content because it only gets better once like you start appreciating it and you're fine yeah. with where you are exactly because bigger things will come yeah exactly like the best is yet to come exactly but we should be content with what has come 
already mm-hmm. right now. Exactly. And so I'm super excited to do this again with you. Me too. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. I've no, loved it. It's so awesome. And like honestly, it, it like for you, for me, for everybody, it's only gonna get better. That's right. And like what 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 you shared is like a huge encouragement, honestly, to most people. I'll just speak for them. Like Great, I'm I'm glad. Thank it's, you. It's it's a message for especially with our generation because uh like I think it, what Gen Z, yeah, Gen Z, Gen yeah. Z, like we're all about dreams. We're all about I get visions. the most feedback from this. Like I preach that message of David and Goliath and the yeah. calling, and I get the most good feedback from it. So like I know that's very specific to our generation. Yeah, because we all like to think big, and especially since we're like a super aesthetic generation. Yeah, like not only like do we like the 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 like the promises and the dreams and the visions because like we're fulfilling god but like there's like an aesthetic part to it too yeah there's like a there's like an image we see because honestly everything is driven through like social media now everything is driven through content um and i think now more than ever like because sometimes i run into like business owners or like people who are older and i ask them like why are you in such a crappy office Mm -hmm. (laughs) like but they just don't care like for them it's more about um like like numbers or like what's within the company like the contents of it or like the contents of the ministry it's not just about how it looks but for us you know it's like really about how it looks and the atmosphere and the vibe so we're in a generation that's really strong on cultivating atmosphere yeah we're a very atmospheric generation um like we want to be in control of like the vibe when you walk in the room yeah and so it's good to have that perspective but it's also good to like level it and like have a like a like a like steady thought process you know like having a balance between super uh atmosphere and then also super like uh like content yeah because a lot of times we're usually in a place that's not as aesthetic Mm -hmm. like we're usually working in an office that's not instagram worthy that you're not going to take a photo of sure you, you probably won't ever post it you don't want we won't want your friends to go there yeah maybe we're in a church that isn't what we think it is or we're yeah. living in a place that isn't super like maybe we live in like south dakota mm-hmm. and i've never been to south dakota but i heard it's flat <laughs> so Hating it's like everyone from south dakota yeah usually <laughs> like it's never as like aesthetic as we want which is almost why i think we want to go after our dreams and our passions is because uh like it looks better sure like we're very like grass is greener on the other side. And we think those people are happy that we see posting those pictures or. But I feel like they're not because every time I've grown in my life, it's my joy isn't really found in that. It's like no. I just see an opportunity that I get to partner with God more. And I mean, if you look at some of the happiest people, or wealthiest people in life, like look at Hollywood, like some of them commit suicide, like these sad tragedies yeah. happen, which just shows us that money and all those dreams really don't fulfill you like people think they will. Yeah. Because you can always have more money. You can always have a better house. Yeah. You can always have a better I think Instagram. you understand that more than anybody. Like if you need a million dollars, you'll just get a million dollars. Sure. Right? Like it, yeah. the finance aspect won't stop you from doing an event. Like yeah, exactly. if it's God, like if, if you really want to do it as a ministry, you'll kind of just go and go do it. You'll put in the research and the thought, but. Sure. You won't let money be the hinder- hindrance. Sure, and I mean, if you really ask people, why do you want the things you want? And they really <laughs> dug deep. Their first response might be to give God glory. But if you got really down into your soul of why do you want it, it might be like, I want significance. I want to be like more acknowledged by people. I want to be known by people. And I yeah. think that's the thing we have to work through. Of yeah. like, like God will often ask you, would you be happy if no one knew who you were or like, or you weren't traveling? And I think that's the question we have yeah. to ask ourselves is like, why do you want that stuff? Is it really to give God glory? Or is it a little bit like 
that little bit of significance that it feeds you or that little bit of, you know, yeah. those different things that feed you. I think that's where we just have to get honest with ourselves yeah. and be like, am I chasing this for me or because I feel called to it? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Like dropping nuggets, even as we're exiting it's off. It's a close. But thank you so yeah, much thank for having you me. Thank you so it's much. Uh, guys, uh, Dylan Long, thank you for coming. Thank you. It's been a blessing.